Hello and welcome to episode number 135 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline, as always. And on today's episode, we'll break down every team's draft from the NFC North. Two teams in the division had high picks, while two teams had low picks. Is there anything you see in these draft halls, Tony, that kind of ties these teams together? Not really. I thought all the teams had really good drafts from this division, except for the Green Bay Packers. And we'll, we, we will get into that. But I think uh, overall, I like what most of the teams in this division did. Definitely teams had a lot of picks or, or did good things with those picks. And we'll start with a team that kind of really checks off both of those boxes. And that is the Detroit Lions, who at number three overall selected Jeffrey Okuda, quarterback out of Ohio State, a guy that both Tony and I had as our number one corner on the board. And that's more or less a consensus opinion really around the industry and with scouts around the league. And, and obviously with him going number three, I mean, this is a guy who has the athleticism. He has the size. He can win in press. He can run with you down the field. He's got good technique. I don't think he had one penalty called on him his entire college career. Um, so this, this is a player who really has everything you want in a potential shutdown corner, which the Lions badly needed after getting rid of Darius Slay. Yeah, I mean, he fits a need. He's likely going to be a day one starter. There was some talk, some reports out there before, uh, within the, the week before, the 10 days before the draft, about teams preferring C.J. Henderson. That was a bunch of bunk. He's got great upside. He's got to become a more secure tackler. He's a very good athlete, athlete and what he does great is uh, he, he does a terrific job making plays with his back to the ball. The only guy that I may have preferred in this spot was Derek Brown because I have had him highly rated. But you can't, uh, you can't complain uh, about Jeffrey Kuda at the top of round one, just like you can't complain about DeAndre Swift at the top of round two. I mean, that was bargain. That was a steal. Uh, in my opinion, he was the best running back in a draft. He fits in need. He's a three-down back that can really do it all, runs hard on the inside, has the ability to turn the corner. So I, I think they hit on uh, their pick in round two as well. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of people were surprised when DeAndre Swift was the pick because the Lions spent, I think it was two years ago, spent the second round pick on Carrion Johnson. But Carrion Johnson really hasn't been able to stay healthy. He's probably not going to be more than, you know, a guy who gets maybe 12, 15 touches a game. You need a guy that's going to take over the rest of that work and probably more of it. And DeAndre Swift is that guy, as you said, a true three-down back, explosive player, you know, really impacts the passing game and, and should be a nice fit in Detroit. They had two third-round picks as well, the Lions did. And they went with Notre Dame edge rusher, defensive end Julian Aquara, and Ohio State guard Jonah Jackson. Now, Aquara is a guy, you know, he's a very athletic guy around the edge. Um, you know, we talked about his uh, his teammate, Khalid Kareem, a little bit on our last podcast for the AFC North. Aquara is the better of the two. Good value at this spot as well. You know, fills another need for Detroit on the defensive side of the ball with a talented player who probably could have gone in the second round. And then Jonah Jackson, just, you know, a mauling guy in the middle of the line, had a pretty good senior bowl transfer from Rutgers who, you know, you don't see many guys go from Rutgers to Ohio State, but Jonah Jackson did that. And not only did he do that, he thrived for the Buckeyes and turned himself into a top 75 pick. Funny thing is, you know, they also got Aquara's brother on the roster uh, who, who uh, played for the Giants and moves over there. Aquara is a guy that he's got great upside. He just has to learn to play at a high level on every single snap. There are times where he looks, you know, completely dominant. He's very athletic. I liked him more as a potential three, four outside linebacker, but he fits the system that the uh, Detroit Lions play. You know, that Matt Patricia, New England Patriots type of system where 
The defensive ends are a little bit smaller, but they're very athletic. They're very quick and they're very explosive. Jonah Jackson, I had him rated lower, although there was some talk even as far back as the Shrine game I was here in second day, and that's where he went. He is a tough, slug it out sort of uh, offensive lineman. Not a mobile guy, not one you're going to use in his own blocking system. But if you're looking someone who can anchor at the point and pass protection, really uh, punch a guy in the mouth and, and move him from the ball in uh, uh, I, I, I'm running downs, he's your guy, as is their fourth-round choice, Logan Stenberg. <laughs> I mean, this is a guy we both like. He is someone who is big. He's powerful. He is a pile driver. I mean, he will push defenders off the line of scrimmage deep onto the second level. But like Jonah Jackson, he's not the most nimble nimble lineman. He's not a guy that's got great footwork and pass rush. You know what you're getting with Logan Stenberg. You're getting a great small area blocker. Just don't ask him to block on the move too much. Yeah, I mean, Logan Senberg, I mean, you mentioned all that. He is mean, too. He wants to take defenders out on every single play. He does not take a playoff. That motor is always revving. And it really kind of shows what Detroit is trying to make this team into right now. I mean, they just took two power running small area type of guards. You know, they're going to try to run the football with DeAndre Swift and Carrion Johnson as Matthew Stafford kind of ages into the twilight of his career. The Lions did have three other picks on the third day. There was Wisconsin wide receiver Quintez Cephas at number 166 overall. They went with New Mexico State running back Jason Huntley. And then they went with John Penasini, the defensive tackle out of Utah in round six. Huntley was their second, fifth round pick. Uh, Cephas is a guy, I mean, his teammate now, Jeff Okuda, when uh, asked at the combine who the best receiver he faced in college was, said Quintez Cephas, and he made it a point to say he did not care about his 40 time, which, you know, for those who don't know, Cephas ran in the four sevens, really wasn't a good look for him in that sense. I mean, that's almost at a disqualifier level of time, but Detroit still liked him enough as a fifth round pick. I mean, the guy is a playmaker. Um, You know, he's a very talented and good receiver. Maybe he's not the best athlete, but he's going to win at the catch point and he can just play the game of football. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he can translate that level of athleticism to the league. Jason Huntley, on the other hand, is a very explosive running back, good receiver out of the backfield. I mean, if you take him and you pair him with DeAndre Swift, and carry on Johnson. You have three guys who can make explosive plays, who can catch the football. So Detroit's going to have a lot of options in the backfield to run behind these guards that they picked up. And then John Penasini is more of a, a bigger defensive tackle, about 320 pounds, really holds the point well. And you know, decent value at the back end of round six, but not really a high upside guy either. Tony, what'd you think of the rest of the Lions picks? You know, Cephas, his 40 time at the combine at 473, which he improved to the mid four fives uh, during pro day killed him. But he is a real good receiver. I mean, as you said, he is a playmaker. He's a good vertical threat. He plays faster than his 40 time. A little bit inconsistent. Doesn't have a big body of work. Sat on the sidelines in 2018 with with issues that have since, I, I guess, been cleared. But, uh, you know, I thought this was a terrific pick. And this is one of those last day roll of dice selections where you know, he either doesn't make it or you could potentially be looking at a number three uh, receiver. Uh, Jason Huntley is basically the antithesis of Kerryon Johnson. He is an explosive perimeter ball carrier who's a good pass catcher out of the backfield. I think he, if I remember, he ran the four threes during his pro day. He was just like Cephas was one of those uh, schools that got the pro days in under the wire before they were stopped short. Huntley's a guy, you get him in space. I mean, he's a potential third down back you get him the ball in space he has a speed and quickness to turn the perimeter 
if there's any open space, he is gone. He can beat defenders into the daylight. But he's also a tough guy. I mean, he only goes about 170, 180 pounds, but he doesn't shy away from contact. He's not afraid to grind it out on the inside. Penasini, there were some people who thought that he was the best defensive lineman during the week of Shrine game practices. I'll tell you this about him. He's fundamentally very sound, and the motor is always going. I continually told people that if Lecky Fotu, his teammate at Utah, had the same motor as John Penasini, Lecky Fotu would have been a top 20 selection because Penasini doesn't have the great athleticism. He's more of a gap occupier, but he's one of those late-round picks that in time can develop into a starter. And I think there's absolutely a space on the depth chart when you look at some of the okay talent at defensive tackle. Um that the Lions are going to be lining up. Jayshon Cornell, their seventh-round selection out of Ohio State, is a solid guy, gets the most from his ability, sort of a swing defensive tackle defensive end. Maybe a little bit difficult for him to make it, but I absolutely could see him ending up on a practice squad this fall. Now the Lions did sign some UDFAs of note. Hunter Bryant was one of them, the tight end out of Washington, who fell entirely out of the draft. Uh, didn't test as well as people expected when kind of watching him on film. And, you know, when you remove tight end, when you're a bit undersized, even when you do so some flashes on film, he also had some inconsistency, but you can't run in the four sevens. I still would have expected him to be a late day three pick, but he fell out of the draft. Detroit ended up scooping him up. There is some upside there. Jalen Elliott is a guy who also ran in the four sevens, but he's a safety. So that's going to really hurt a guy like that. I mean, a very good football player, a guy coming into the season who was graded a lot higher than, you know, the seventh rounder priority free agent level. But again, that awful 40 time is probably what knocked him right out of the draft. But at the very least, he's a guy who can definitely contribute on special teams and hopefully be a backup for Detroit in the secondary. Another guy, another safety that they signed that you got to keep an eye on is Bobby Price uh, from Norfolk State, a guy who I did a, uh, I did a scouting report on at uh, Pro Football Network. He's got excellent size. He's quick. He's fast in a straight line. He's an explosive hitter. The instincts are kind of iffy. But again, you look at all the safeties that they signed in, uh, as undrafted free agents. Some of these guys could make the uh, uh, active roster. If they don't make the active roster, they're going to be headed for the practice squad. I think that's exactly what happens with Bobby Price out of Norfolk State. And we'll be back in just a moment to look at the rest of the division after this word from our sponsor. Live sporting events may be a reality soon, maybe within the next couple months. But in the meantime, we've still got you covered when it comes to wagers. While you're waiting this out at home with us, and it looks like here in New York, it's going to be a longer wait than some of the other states, you can still have fun betting at betonline.ag. With no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. But BetOnline still has hundreds of places to wager, including their online casino with poker and blackjack. And sports aren't totally done. There's still eSports, American Idol, Big Brother, the elections, and BetOnline's $750,000 poker series. Yes, Chris, there is still fun to be had. So go to BetOnline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Next up here in the NFC North is the Minnesota Vikings, who did have two first-round draft picks. They ended up getting Justin Jefferson at number 22 with the draft pick that they got in the Stephon Diggs trade. 
and they went with TCU cornerback Jeff Gladney with the 31st overall pick. Justin Jefferson, I mean, this is a guy, when he moved to the slot this past season for LSU, he just took off completely. Um, you know, people do question kind of his ability against press. It'll be interesting to see if the Vikings use him, you know, in the slot along with Adam Thielen on the outside, if they use Thielen more in the slot. It'd be very interesting to see how they use Jefferson, but they ran in the low four fours at the combine, which was a boss he absolutely needed to check. Um, you know, good receiver wins in contested situations, solid size. You know, he's, he's one of those guys that is more or less above average at everything you could ask of him as a football player, just a real solid pick for the Vikings here to replace Stefan Diggs. And then Jeff Gladney, Vikings had a need at corner. There may have been some corners on the board that, you know, I would have taken or Tony would have taken over Gladney, but in the end, he's a short guy, but he has long arms. And you could see that on the field when he's breaking up passes, you know, getting in there and, and using that length to really disrupt receivers. Um, you know, he had a really good battle with Denzel Mims when TCU and Baylor played this past season. So, you know, Gladney's a good player. I'm not sure he was the best cornerback on the board, but I don't have a huge problem with taking him at the end of round one, early round two type of range. Yeah, the Vikings really didn't expect Justin Jefferson to be there when they were selecting with the 22nd pick. They thought the Philadelphia Eagles were going to scoop him up. And then the Eagles went and took Jalen Rager because all the information that I have was that the Minnesota Vikings were ready to take a Michael Pittman Jr., the receiver uh, from USC. Justin Jefferson falls. They scoop him up. You know, he ran the four fours, but he plays fast. And he's shown consistent progress in his game the past two years. He was a better receiver in 2019 than he was in 2018, probably in large part because uh, uh, Joe Burrow played much better in 2019. But Justin Jefferson absolutely showed uh, consistent improvement in his game. And the one thing we know about LSU receivers is they're better players in the NFL than they are on the college level. So I think really the Vikings got a steal there. Uh, absolute uh, guy who can come in and, and, and contribute right away. Gladney, there were some off-the-field or character issues that raised, raised some concerns for some teams, obviously not the Vikings. I'm with you. I don't think he was the best cornerback uh, on the board when they selected him with the 31st pick. But uh, I, when there was a run on cornerbacks at that point in time, because you had a bunch of guys go, especially guys like Damon Arnett, who a lot of people didn't expect to go, I'm sure that the Vikings said, we better grab a guy now or we better grab our guy now because he may not be available in the second round. And ironically, they got one of their guys in the second round when they selected Ezra Cleveland with the 58th pick, who, to my mind, is the steal of the draft. I was reporting before the draft even began that the Vikings were considering Cleveland uh, in the first round. They were going to use him either at guard, they were going to use him at left tackle. They thought they liked his versatility. That's why they were considering him around one. Obviously, we know all know the story. Ezra Cleveland Falls, the Vikings get a guy in, at late in round two that they were considering uh, selecting in round one. I'm told, and I reported this uh, before the draft, that what they're going to do is move Brian O'Neill to left tackle, Riley Reef into guard, and then have Ezra Cleveland play right tackle. Now, Cleveland is not a real good not, – I'm not a dominant run blocker. He's got room for improvement. But he's an, outstand, he's an outstanding athlete who's exceptional blocking in motion out on the second and third level. And that's what the Vikings want. They want those zone block, blocking type of linemen. And uh, Ezra Cleveland fits is a natural fit for that system. And if you want to hear a bit more about Ezra Cleveland, Tony obviously gave a lot of detail there. Go back a couple of months ago. We talked to him on this podcast in February. Very good interview with Ezra Cleveland. So make sure to go back and check that out. 
The Vikings had a bunch more picks. They drafted one more time in the first two days of the draft and drafted Cam Dantzler, corner from Mississippi State at number 89. They got DJ Wanham, the defensive lineman out of South Carolina, in the fourth round. They also got James Lynch, defensive tackle out of Baylor, and Troy Dye, the linebacker out of Oregon in that round. And, and Dantzler is a guy, didn't test so well at the combine, might have fallen a little bit because of that, but I don't think he really fell too far from where people thought he was going to go. Uh, he's got good tape. He is an excellent player. But again, that 40 time had some people concerned. Obviously, the Vikings were not concerned. There were some people that uh, had Dantzler hand-timed in like the high 4-4s and the 4-5 range rather than I think the 4-6 official time that he had. So I think he's a guy that stopwatches across the league were kind of all over the board. Wadham is, you know, a raw, thin type of guy, but he's a good athlete. Didn't really stand out at the senior bowl, but you can absolutely see why he is worth an early day three pick in terms of just, you know, an athletic flyer who has a ton of upside. Uh, James Lynch was the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, you know, penetrating three technique, um, you know, a guy that can also cause disruption just like DJ Wanham has the upside too. And then, you know, Troy Dye is a smaller linebacker, gets caught up a little bit, not the greatest in coverage, isn't an exceptional athlete, might be more of a special teamer and probably a little bit of a reach in the fourth round. Tony, what do you think of these picks? Well, you know, Dantzler was graded as a mid-first round pick coming into the season by scouts who grade underclassmen. I think the 40-time in the four, low four-sixes at the combine hurt him. I also think, you know, he played uninspired football in 2019. A large part of that is because opponents just didn't throw in his direction. But again, like Ezra Cleveland, we know Cleveland's a good player, and Cleveland was a guy who was a steal. Dantzler can be a steal if he gets back to where he was uh, to the level of play he showed in 2018. I mean, you got a starting cornerback late in round three, and, and that is a bargain. DJ Wanham is more of a situational pass rusher. I liked him more as a as a guy who would stand up over tackle, but the Vikings do like their uh, edge rushers to be a little bit undersized. I mean, when he came out of college, Danielle Hunter was not that big, and he's turned out to be an outstanding uh, selection. So I think it's a good system fit. Uh, James Lynch, again, saw, like you said, a three technique guy, you, you put him next to the nose tackle there on, on, uh, passing downs. You put him next to uh, Michael Pierce. I think he's a guy that's going to give you some interior pass rush. Troy Dye, the Vikings have some older, uh, older linebackers and you're going to need some depth. You're going to need to start to, uh, build behind them. I think Troy Dye is a guy, he's not great in pass coverage, but he's got the athleticism to drop off the line and play in pass coverage. So I think you're looking at Die as a nickel linebacker that can also play special teams. The Vikings went with Temple cornerback Harrison Hand, Miami wide receiver K.J. Osborne, and then in the sixth round, those prior two were fifth-round picks. In the sixth round, they went with Oregon State tackle Blake Brandell. Um, Hand and Osborne are actually both transfers. Uh, Hand was a transfer from Baylor, where he started as a freshman there. Uh, he has good size, but he's still kind of raw, even though he did start, I think it was nine games, as a freshman, might have been able to use a little bit more time in college, but came out and was a fifth-round pick. I'm not sure he goes that much higher if he stays one more year in college, so it did work out for him despite uh, some thoughts that it may not have. Osborne is a guy who played at UB before going to Miami, has decent size, tested pretty well at the combine, and really was the best receiver for the Hurricanes the past two seasons. Blake Randell is a decent athlete, probably going to end up being more of a guard at the NFL level, played tackle at Oregon State, but you know another couple of picks here by the Vikings that you know do have some upside and, and there is some development that these players could pull off you know overall you know I think the Vikings did a great job and it, it kind of continues with their last few picks. Harrison Hand I had been the first to report as early as November that Harrison Hand was going to enter the draft and then when I watched him I, I thought he would have been better suited 
uh, staying for another year. And I think the draft positioning of round five sort of proved that. He's got an upside. He's relatively athletic. He's got good size. But he really needs a lot of work and refinement in his game and his cornerback techniques. One of those guys who does a lot of face guarding and struggles making plays with his back to the ball. I was happy to see K.J. Osborne uh, be selected as early as he was. I mean, coming into the season, I had Jeff Thomas graded as a late-round pick, and I took all kinds of flack uh, on it uh, from uh, Miami Hurricane fans. When you watch the films, hands down, K.J. Osborne was the top receiver for the Hurricanes. Not the biggest guy in the world, but a sure-handed receiver. Blake Brandell, I was very surprised by this selection. I never thought uh, in my wildest dreams he would have been selected at any point during the draft. He's a guy who I watched and I've had graded since his sophomore season at Oregon State. He was a left tackle there, but he's a guy who really didn't show much progress in his game. He moves relatively well. He shows good flexibility and agility for uh, an offensive lineman but he really has to improve every, uh, every aspect of his game. I thought Josh Metellus, the sixth round pick was or the last pick in round six, I should say was solid value, tough, strong, uh, up the field type of uh, uh, safety. Now the Vikings also added four picks in the seventh round, Michigan state defensive end, Kenny Willekes, Iowa quarterback, Nate Stanley, Mississippi state safety, Brian Cole, but he was actually drafted and listed as an outside linebacker before the Vikings. And then Kyle Hinton, the center out of Washburn, you know, Cole's a guy when we were watching Mississippi state, we talked about Cam Dantzler. Obviously the Vikings like what they saw out of the Bulldog secondary. You know, Cole is a guy, you know, he's going to move up apparently. And, and maybe they're just looking at him as more of a core special teamer, um, but he has good size for safety, not great size for the linebacker, but it'll be very interesting to see what happens there. Nate Stanley, a guy that a lot of people were way higher on than Tony and I, where as far as the Iowa quarterback goes, I mean, he's got all the physical tools, you know, he's got the arm strength. He's kind of in some ways a bit of a prototype, but he just never really stood out at the college level. And that's why he ends up being a seventh round pick here for Minnesota. Willikis, I mean, not the greatest athlete in the world, but someone who gets the most from his ability has a motor that's nonstop, poor size and uh, size and speed. But again, you know, built for the, the way the Vikings like him or like the defensive ends, pass rushes a little bit undersized. And, you know, Willikis just brings it every down. Nate Stanley, uh, you're drafting him just because of the tools, but you really got to develop his game because he is all over the place with his throws. Brian Cole, I can see the move to linebacker because he's got decent size and is really best making plays up the field. He, doesn't, he didn't show great range at safety, uh, a bit slow laterally, but I could see them using him as sort of a nickel linebacker special teamer. Kyle Hinton, be interesting to see if they use him at guard or if they use him at center. Kyle Hinton is going to make an active roster. Kyle Hinton, when you watch his film at Washburn, was a terrific left tackle. He was uh, participated in the Kansas State Pro Day. He just blew the Pro Day up. I mean, if he was at the Combine, he would have been one of the Better testing offensive lineman in Indianapolis. He's got a great amount of upside. It's just a matter of how he reacts to the step up in competition. But again, you know, uh, a guy who talked about uh, Ezra Cleveland and the way the uh, Vikings like those zone blocking linemen, Kyle Hinton fits, fits the bill because he is mean, he is nasty, and he is outstanding on his feet. I, I would be shocked if Hinton doesn't make the active roster uh, come this September. 
I mean, the Vikings had like 15 picks here in this draft. And in addition to those, they also picked up some undrafted guys afterwards as well. A couple of receivers I wanted to spotlight. Dan Chizena out of Penn State, the guy who only had three career catches on the football team because he was a track star. He was part of uh, the Penn State record-setting team 4 by 100 relay. And, um, you know, he's got that track star speed. The Vikings are going to look to kind of use that, whether it's on returns or whether it's just as a depth deep threat if he ends up making the roster. But, you know, Chazane is an interesting guy just because we don't really know too much about him as far as what we've been able to see on the field because he just hasn't played that much football. Whereas Courtney Davis is a solid size type of guy, average athlete, not quite the speed or anywhere near it of Chazana, but he was a very productive player at Texas A&M. So kind of two contrasting styles a bit at receiver, but two guys who definitely have some potential. And you can get a scouting report on Chizedna at uh, Pro Football Network because I did actually see all three of his receptions <laughs> and, and some of the passes that he didn't catch. And basically, he is a straight-line explosive sprinter who just has to learn to be a receiver. And what's going to happen with Ch- Chizedna, I don't think he's going to make the active roster, but he'll definitely hop uh, or find his way onto a practice squad. I like both defensive backs that they signed. Miles Dorn out of North Carolina and the cornerback Neville Clark out of Central Florida. Neville Clark out of Central Florida, I thought should have been drafted. He was, I I gave him a draftable grade. He's got good size. He's got solid cover skills. He's someone that I can see uh, developing into a uh, dime back at the next level. Miles Dorn is a guy who as a sophomore, I thought he, he showed first round potential. His game has since leveled out. He entered the season with high grades from scouts, but he just has, really hasn't shown any improvement in his game since 2017. When I say he entered the season with high grades, I mean he had a second-round grade from scouts coming into the season, performed okay at the Shrine game, wasn't invited to the Combine, but a guy who, if you watch his highlight film, and I don't like saying watching highlight films because you have to watch the whole, you know, the whole shebang. you got to watch the whole body of work. You watch his highlight film, and you're like, wow, I, I mean, this guy can play at the next level. The problem is those highlights, especially the past two years, have been few and far between. Now I'll break down both the Packers and Bears drafts right after this quick break. And we're back to break down what Green Bay did in this year's NFL draft. And there are lots of opinions on what Green Bay did because they traded up in the first round to pick up Jordan Love, quarterback out of Utah State. Um, you know, obviously many, many years ago, about 15 years ago, they drafted Aaron Rodgers with Brett Favre still on the roster. Now they trade up to get Jordan Love with Aaron Rodgers still on the roster. I mean, it's one of those situations where I love the player. I think Jordan Love probably should have gone in the teens in terms of the upside that he has. So value wise, I think the Packers got a steal and I can absolutely understand them trading up. But I also understand the idea that you know, unless Aaron Rodgers is in his final year in Green Bay, which his contract runs longer than that, but, you know, who knows what the future holds. Obviously, his play has been on the decline a little bit, so I understand the idea of going out and getting your quarterback of the future, but, you know, Jordan Love, unlike a guy like Patrick Mahomes, who sat for one year behind Alex Smith, um, Jordan Love is going to sit, if Aaron Rodgers sticks around in Green Bay, he's going to sit for, you know, maybe two years. That's about half his rookie contract if you don't include that fifth-year option, so it's kind of an interesting fit. I love the player and I understand what they did, but there were a lot of receivers obviously in this draft that they could have taken care of to, um, you know, help kind of sort out the depth chart right now. Alan Lazard, a guy we always bring up on this podcast is their number two receiver. Uh, so it'd be interesting what green Bay is able to do and, and really what the future holds for Aaron Rodgers. I got no problem with this selection at all. I mean, they gave up what a fourth round choice to move up to get him. a guy that's got great upside, a guy that doesn't have to play immediately. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, this will be his, what, his 15th season? So next year, 
will be his uh, 17th season uh, in the league. I mean, eventually it's time to turn the page. I'm not, I'm not saying they should do that with Aaron Rodgers, but it's never a bad time to uh, you know start thinking about the future. And that's exactly what they did here. And they gave up very little to get a quarterback that has a tremendous amount of upside with a guy who's going to be what a second year coach. So really this is his stamp, I think. And, and this is his player moving forward. Now moving on to the day two picks for the Packers here, they selected AJ Dillon 62nd overall, and they selected Josiah DeGuerra Cincinnati tight end at 94. And I mean, Dylan, obviously at Boston College, he was extremely productive in the backfield, not really much of a receiver, not only on the stat sheet, but also when you watch him, you know, his hands are not that great. Green Bay has apparently said that they, you know, think he's a better receiver than people give him credit for. Either way, a very interesting pick here, you know, again, you know, taking a running back at the back end of round two, when you have Aaron Jones, uh, who scored a ton of touchdowns last year. Yeah, that's, you know, he had opportunities, but he was also a good back. They obviously just don't want to give him a ton of work, but you bring in a guy like AJ Dillon, who doesn't thrive in the passing game. Um, You know, he's obviously an excellent athlete. People were drawing Derrick Henry comps after his combine, you know, because he's about 250 pounds and runs four or five in a straight line, which is excellent. And I like him as a player. I just thought this pick was a little bit early for him, especially considering their roster. Another early pick was Josiah Deguerra. I mean, you know, he's a bit small. He's more of a move tight end, but he doesn't have that athleticism that you ideally want out of a move tight end. You know, he's a guy, you know, he's a solid player. You like watching him on tape. He gives it his all, but just a guy that I didn't really expect to, to be taken in the top 100. A.J. Dillon, I think, is a good system fit. I, I, I have no problem with the selection. Yeah, they have Aaron Jones, but Aaron Jones is going to be a free agent after the 2020 season. He's probably going to want a ton of money. Uh, Dylan, obviously, a between-the-tackles downhill grinder, and that's what the, uh, the Packers like. He is an absolute cold-weather back. So, you know, I could understand the selection. I've got no problem with it. I, I agree with the DeGuara pick. Listen, you go back to our podcast last June when we were doing the AAC breakdown of NFL prospects. And I was singing the praises of DeGuara primarily because scouts had him graded as a free, as a street free agent. And I thought he did enough things really well to be a number three, potentially number two tight end at the next level. I never envisioned him as a uh, third round pick, even as well as he played in 2019. And even despite the fact that he, tested much better at the combine than I think anybody thought. But as you said, is he a tight end? Is he an H back? Is he fullback? Uh, and I mean, there were several good receivers still available for the Packers when they were called uh, uh, to the clock in round uh, three. I dare say there were several tight ends who were much better than DeGora that uh, they could have used. And, you know, I've seen him on the depth chart as a fullback. I, I just, this pick to me was a head scratcher. People can debate the first two selections all they want. I've got no problem with them. But to me, this was a real head scratcher. I mean, at the very least, Jordan Love and A.J. Dillon, very good players and very good scheme fix. Josiah DeGuerra, you don't really, you can't really say either of those things about him. So I would say easily the most head scratching pick of that trio. The Packers did have four selections. They didn't have any in the fourth round, but they had four in the fifth and the sixth round. They got Minnesota linebacker Kamal Martin, you know, an athletic player, a guy that we uh, talked about a bit during the season next to his more of his thumper teammate, Thomas Barber. You know, Martin, again, good athlete, not a ton of production. You know, so this is kind of a bet on traits here for the Packers. In the sixth round, they drafted a trio of offensive linemen, Michigan offensive tackle John Runyon, who likely is going to move inside to guard where he played at the Shrine game 
after the season. Jake Hansen at center is a smart guy, but an average athlete. He's a bit small, so probably no more than a backup for depth at the NFL level. And then Indiana tackle Simon Stepaniak, the small area guy. Packers really adding depth here in the sixth round with the offensive lineman, but I don't see a ton of upside here. Yeah, I mean, I like Kamal Martin. I understand why they took him. He is an explosive run-and-chase linebacker, someone who Christian Kirksey, they, they signed him uh, as a free agent, but he's a guy that's struggled with injuries lately. He's, he's very much like Oren Burks, uh, Kamal Martin, a, a guy who gets from point A to point B very quickly, very athletic, plays with a fierce nasty, I dare say, violent attitude. Can also gets depth on his pass drop. So a lot of Packer fans, I saw him on draft day moaning and groaning about this pick. I absolutely like it. You know, it's funny because we just did the Vikings and we talked about Ezra Cleveland and, and the kid from uh, Washburn that they drafted, the mobile, agile, zone-blocking uh, lineman. John Runyon, Jake Hansen, and Simon Stepniak are the exact opposite. I mean, they are guys who are very good in a small area, but ineffective anything other than maybe a yard or two from the line of scrimmage. You can't use them in motion. Uh, There are guys who really don't adjust all that well. They're not that great in space. But if you're looking for someone to punch in the mouth and open up the running, uh, the, the holes for the running game, uh, those are these these three guys. Right? I think Jake Hansen didn't he run in the like the high four, uh, the high five fives uh, at the combine. It was some really slow time. Uh, Stepaniak, I, I like a lot. I think he's a little bit underrated. Runyon, I like in the sense that he can play guard or tackle. And, and Hansen is, has been a durable and productive player for Oregon. But they're all guys like you say. You know, they don't have great upside. They're not great athletes. But you get what you see with these guys. You plug them in. You ask them to play in a small area. They'll do a good job. Absolutely. And a pair of seventh-round picks for Green Bay to wrap up their draft. Vernon Scott, free safety out of TCU, who was very much a surprise pick. One of the few players drafted. I, I haven't gone through and run the numbers on this, Tony, but uh, I didn't see a scouting report for you on Vernon Scott, which that almost never happens. I mean, everybody that gets drafted, Tony, has like 800 scouting reports. Everyone that gets drafted usually has one. I mean, even last year when Jacksonville surprised everybody and took Quincy Williams in the third round and everyone's scrambling for information, Tony had a scouting report on him as well. The other seventh round pick for Green Bay, Jonathan Garvin, defensive end out of Miami. Another guy, you know, he's a bit smaller, kind of more of outside linebacker type of size, a good athlete, uh, needs to kind of get stronger and, and bulk up here. But again, a guy that could develop into a decent pass rusher and kind of sub packages and some depth at the NFL level. Listen, I like Garvin. Uh, I, I liked him when I watched him on film. I saw a lot of upside. The thing about Garvin, though, is I really think he's better as a 4-3 defensive end. I just don't know what the fit is here uh, in Green Bay that primarily plays a 3-4. You know, it, it, it's almost like when they took the uh, they took Rashawn Gary uh, with, with the first round. What are you going to do with Rashawn Gary? He's a 4-3 defensive end. You're gonna make them. You're gonna stand them up in a in a, uh, a three four type system. Uh, uh, you know, granted, it's the seventh round where Gary was what the twelfth pick of the draft, the eleventh pick of the draft, whatever he was. But still, I, I just didn't. Un- I like Garvin the player. I just didn't understand the system fit. Absolutely, a couple undrafted free agents for Green Bay that I want to highlight: Patrick Taylor out of Memphis, the running back, and Daryl Stewart, wide receiver, out of Michigan State. Taylor is a guy that you know had some injury issues. This season, missed a lot of time, but when he's on the field, he's big. He's a decent athlete. He can catch the ball. He can actually catch the ball in traffic, run routes a little bit. Um, so I, I thought he was the guy that, you know, could have been drafted 
And for Green Bay to get him afterwards, you know, that could be more future depth for them if, as you said, they let Aaron Jones go as a free agent. And then Daryl Stewart, another guy who got injured this past season, he was actually leading the Big Ten in receiving before he hurt his leg, also had an ankle injury in 2018. But when he can stay on the field, he's got good size. He's more of an average athlete, but a productive, solid receiver that definitely does have a chance to make the roster. And he's an outstanding punt returner. So, you know, he's got that versatility. Wouldn't be surprised to see Daryl Stewart make the active roster, considering the type of player he is, as well as the need at receiver for, uh, for the Packers. Um, one guy you got to keep an eye on is Jalen Morton, the uh, quarterback from Prairie View. I don't think he's going to make the active roster, but I definitely think he's a practice squad player. He's one of these guys that will wind it up and throw the ball downfield some 80 yards. <laughs> I mean, he has got a huge arm. He's got a nasty arm. Uh, it's, just a ma- it's just a problem that sometimes he doesn't know when to take things off the ball, and uh, he can be all over the place with his uh, – uh, with his throws, you know, typical I thought was it, it was an outstanding fit. I thought he was a terrific, uh, uh, undrafted, uh, free agent signing. I think unlike Jonathan Garvin, Galea is fits like a, a duck in water. What the, uh, what the Packers do on defense. He's an undersized explosive, uh, pass rusher who can stand over tackle. There are a lot of off the field character questions about him, which is why he slid out of the draft also didn't play all that well in 2019. He had considered entering the draft after the 2018 uh, campaign, after his junior season. And if he had, he's probably a mid-around pick. But I think this is a guy, typical layer, to keep the Packer fans to keep an eye on uh, because he is a terrific fit for their system. Now we'll move on to the final team in the division and the lone team that did not have a first-round pick this year, the Chicago Bears. They gave up that pick to get Khalil Mack from the Raiders in, in that blockbuster trade a couple years ago. They did have two second-round picks, though, and I thought their second-round picks were very good picks. Cole Komet, tight end out of Notre Dame, and Jalen Johnson, cornerback out of Utah. You know, Komet was the number one tight end on, on both of our boards. He was the number one tight end taken in the draft, number one tight end on most NFL teams' boards. And while well, it wasn't a banner year at the position, you know, Komet's a guy that you know, plays with that my ball mentality. The ball's up in the air. He's going to go get it. He doesn't care you know, who's in his way. Um, tested out as a good athlete at the combine, which was a question on him. People weren't sure about that. So when he did that, that more or less cemented him based on his play on the field and his production, you know, as a second round pick and the top tight end in this class, Jalen Johnson is a guy, when we were talking about Jeff Gladney before going to Minnesota and said there were better corners on the board and Jalen Johnson went 19 picks later. Um, and and Jalen Johnson has better size than Jeff Gladney He's a solid enough athlete, right? A four, five, 40, at the combine and he's just a playmaker. I mean, he gets the ball, he gets his hands on the ball. He has good ball skills. He can make plays. He can cover. He's got good length. So, I mean, I thought this was a home run pick here for the bears who, you know, didn't have any other selections on day two, but the ones they had, I think they made the most of them. You know, it's funny because I hear people complain about the Cole Komet pick by the Bears. Somebody asked me about it uh, last week uh, during the question and answer segment or the mailbag segment for Pro, Pro Football Network. I did a radio interview later in the week and someone was talking about how they thought it was uninspired. I thought it was a, a tremendous pick. I mean, somebody said, well, you know, the Bears got 10 tight ends uh, on their depth chart. Yeah, but they all stink except for Jimmy Graham, who's going to be select, uh, collecting the Social Security checks within a few years. Uh, Colt Komet's going to move to the top of the uh, of the depth chart. Uh, he's a terrific pass catcher. He's a real good football player. Shocked the heck out of me the way he ran at the combine. Uh, I, I mean, never mind the fact that he's 
played his, uh, his college football right down the road at Notre Dame. I, I think this uh, selection checks all the boxes. I, and I think the, uh, the Bears did a great job here. I agree with you on, on Jalen Johnson. The reason Johnson slid is because he really struggles making plays with his back to the ball. He does a lot of face guarding. If he doesn't rectify that, he's going to get called for a lot of pass interference uh, at the next level. But he's got the size. He's got the speed. He definitely has the physicality. And, you know, I think this was a major steal uh, for the Chicago Bears. This was a great bargain where they selected him. Now, a trio of fifth-round picks for Chicago, Tulsa edge rusher Travis Gibson, Georgia Southern cornerback Kendall Vildor, and Tulane wide receiver Darnell Mooney. And all of these guys have one thing in common. They are athletic players. Travis Gibson, he's very raw. He didn't produce at the Senior Bowl, but you looked at him, and he showed flashes, and he showed flashes on film as well. So he's just, you know, an athletic guy that the Bears are going to hope to mold into an effective rusher. Kindle Vildor is kind of the same thing. He's a bit small, but good athleticism, really good ball skills, and really what you would assume a team is looking for in a slot cornerback at the NFL level. And they got him outside of the top 50. If he ends up hitting, you know, coming from a smaller school, um, that's going to be an excellent value pick. And then Darnell Mooney led the AAC with 20.7 yards per catch last season. He's a bit small. He's kind of more of a gadget player than a true deep threat as a receiver, but this is a guy who can definitely produce and, again, has that level of athleticism, which the Bears, at least in the fifth round, really seem to prioritize. My, my, my concern with Gibson is this. He's a good athlete. He's got a high upside. He's a guy who flashes big playability, but like Jonathan Garvin of the Green Bay Packers, I just don't see it as a good system fit. I mean, I think Gibson would be very good as a defensive end in a uh, 4-3 alignment. Now, granted, uh, you know, oftentimes the Bears are basically playing a three-man front with one-gap principles, which basically means they're lining their uh, offensive – they're lining up the, uh, the linebacker basically as a stand-up defensive end. But I still think Gibson would have been better off in a four-man front. He's got a high upside. You just got to develop him. He needs a little bit more experience at a, at a uh, high level of competition. He needs to get a little bit stronger. Kendall Vildor is sort of a mini version of Jalen Johnson, not as big, but physical, fast, and a guy who's got to learn to make plays with his back, uh, with his back to the ball, get his head back around because he does a lot of face guarding. He was highly graded by scouts coming into the season who thought he could have been more of a potential second-day pick, but I don't think he showed enough during the season or as uh, at the senior ball to really elevate himself, which is why he landed in the fifth round. Darrell Mooney, as Darnell Mooney, I should say, you know, he is the big play threat. He's the guy that can take it the distance. He's just got to pick up the production. He's got to be more consistent about his production uh, rather than the, the spotty production that he showed uh, uh, at Tulane. He's also got some return potential there. And skipping the sixth round here because Chicago had no picks there, they really only had picks in three rounds, the second round, the fifth round, and the seventh. They had a pair of last round picks, and they used them on the offensive line, Colorado, Offensive lineman Arlington Hambright and Tennessee offensive lineman Lachavius Simmons, two guys that I bet most people really haven't heard of. A lot of people were not expecting them to be drafted. Hambright is a guy, you know, a small area blocker, doesn't have a ton of experience. So, you know, the Bears are, you know, hope to develop him, you know, and get him some action and, you know, use him as a backup. And then Lachavius Simmons is a big guy, but played both tackle positions and left guard at Tennessee State. But again, just not a guy who, you know, screams upside to you. And when you draft in the seventh round, especially when you're taking small school players, you kind of want a bit more physical upside than it seems like they've gotten here. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I think both of these guys were surprising picks. I had both of them graded. I have scouting reports on both of them. Hambright, I think, uh, played left tackle at Colorado last year. Really was a uh, sort of a late comer, a guy who was a late bloomer, as they say. Uh, but I don't think someone who really bloomed as much to, uh, to the point where he deserved to be selected in the draft. A guy you're going to kick inside to guard. Same thing with Simmons. Simmons, I had high hopes for after his junior year. He is a massive, wide-bodied, small area lineman. He is someone who, you know, can move the uh, move uh, multiple men off the line of scrimmage. He may be a little bit too big for his own good. He's got a, a good amount of upside. I can see both of these guys making a practice squad this fall. A couple undrafted players of note for the Bears: Ladarius Matt Khalilmack's brother from Buffalo. Eight sacks, only started one game last year, but productive as a part-time player. You know, it'll be interesting to see if they can actually reunite the brothers on the active roster. Running back Artemis Pierce out of Oregon State, kind of the definition of average in a lot of ways, average size, average athlete, decent production. You know, the kind of guy who may struggle to make the roster, could put him on the practice squad, but again, just not a lot of developmental upside there. Then the Kale London defensive tackle out of Western Illinois, six foot five. He's a big guy, but he's only 280 pounds, really needs to fill out his frame a little bit, but once he does, there is definitely some upside in London as a guy that's signing after the draft. Yeah, look, uh, London is an explosive uh, quick guy. He's got to get a little bit stronger, but if he does, he fits a three-man line. Two guys that really stood out to me, Ahmad Wagner of Kentucky, who we have a scouting report on or I posted a scouting report on at Pro Football Network. He was a big-bodied receiver. I think he only had like 15 receptions last year, if I remember off the top of my head. But he's incredibly athletic, and he's a guy who is one of those oversized receivers, when I say oversized, 235, 240 pounds, that you're going to basically switch to the tight end position. Don't think he makes an active roster. I could absolutely see him making a practice squad for future development. And then the other guy is Keandre Jones of Maryland, who I think really flew under the radar this year. Ohio State transfer, very athletic, goes sideline to sideline. Uh, someone who wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if he uh, finds his way onto the uh, – Onto the active roster. Also keep an eye on Rashad Smith of Florida Atlantic. Not the biggest guy in the world, not the fastest guy in the world, but a tough, instinctive, uh, heady football player who is constantly around the ball. And that's it for the 135th episode of the Draft Analyst presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter and we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll take you through two more divisions of team by team next week, as we've been doing. But in the meantime, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. Good night.